Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining. I think this video is going to be pretty informative to a lot of investors. We have a lot of investors that are frankly getting crushed by Jerome Powell and the Fed. Their returns are getting crushed and it's going to continue and they don't realize the reasons behind it. They don't realize why this is happening. So I wanna break this down and kind of break away all the confusion and muddled mess of the Fed and interest rates and inflation and explain why some investors are being so damaged by the changes that are going on in the market. We have some big news like this. As inflation bites and Americans' mood darkens, higher income consumers are cutting back too. We can see that inflation is having serious consequences on the economy. The biggest consequence this has is not just the increase in price, but the reaction of the Fed. The Fed that so far has been our friend and having very loose monetary policies and having very low interest rate environments, making it so that companies can fund growth easily, it's now all changing. Everything is changing, and I think that there's still a lot of investors that haven't caught on. So let me skip through most of the economic news and just get to the bottom line. Interest rates surging is rippling through the economy, and it's fiercely rippling through the economy. Home prices no longer are soaring up month after month. In fact, a lot of home sellers right now have some anxiety. They feel like the pressure is on to sell right now because they might not be able to charge more in the future. The interest rates have made mortgages jump up to 5%. This is pricing out a lot of would-be home buyers, so sellers are feeling a lot of heat right now. The used car market is feeling similar pressure. Car prices went up 40% in one year. 40%. This was a huge contributor to inflation, and for the past two months, auto sales for used vehicles have actually declined in price. So no longer are used cars appreciating assets. They seem to actually be going down in value now. So we can look at different aspects of the economy and see it starting to crack at different points. But the bottom line is, is that the market is finally getting the message that the era of cheap money is ending. And this has consequences across the board, but especially for investors. If you're an investor, you need to pay attention to this news. These are real dynamics that are changing that are going to affect your performance if you're invested in different stocks. I have a portfolio that I show every week and I try to give understanding into why I make certain investment decisions. And not to brag or anything, but my portfolio has held up pretty well this year compared to a lot of other people's portfolios because I invest in a specific kind of company that's not being heavily damaged by these type of macroeconomic changes. So instead of going through the individual holdings and why I think they're good companies, I wanna give more of an overview of the high level macro events and what type of companies to buy into, what kind of companies to sell. In general, my advice right now can be summarized to avoid weak stocks. Weak stocks, inferior companies, low quality companies, whatever word you wanna to use to describe it, I'll use the term weak stocks. And you might think that this is obvious. You might be saying, Joseph, of course you avoid weak stocks. I'm already doing that. But many of you listening are probably not doing this and you don't even realize it because the definition of a weak stock to a strong stock, I think is very nuanced. Weak stocks or weak companies are ones that are reliant on specific macro environments. 
meaning they have to have macro environments play out a certain way for those companies to perform well. And if the macro environment doesn't line up that way, these companies won't perform well. An example of this type of company would be ones that really only do well during a pandemic, right? And outside of a pandemic, they don't do so well. I could throw in an example of maybe Peloton. That's a company that doesn't seem to be doing too well outside of the pandemic environment. Now, there's other companies that certainly fit into this category. Any company that does well during high inflation only and doesn't do well during times of low inflation. Any company that does well during low interest rates and doesn't do well during times of high interest rates. Basically, weak companies or weak stocks are ones that are dependent or reliant on specific macro environments. And outside of those environments, they have inferior performance. And the hallmark of these type of companies, these weak stocks, are ones that rely on raising cheap debt to fund their growth. They also rely on inflated stock prices to sell shares at attractive prices to fund further growth. In summary, they rely on a low cost of capital, meaning they're relying on the debt markets or the equity markets to raise capital to fund their growth. There's one definition of companies that people talk about. They call them zombie corporations, companies that are only alive because of the certain macro environment of easy monetary policy. Now, some of us might not like to admit it, but the truth is many of the companies that have done well over the past five years have only done well because of these specific macro environments, because they have access to cheap debt and because they have inflated stock prices. And outside of that environment, these stocks aren't doing so well. And many investors right now are suffering and they're confused of why this is happening. So let me go ahead and spell out the problem here. Well, it's pretty simple. As interest rates go up, which they are right now, debt no longer is cheap. Debt becomes expensive. And as debt becomes expensive, these companies that rely entirely on sales and marketing to fund their growth can't afford their sales and marketing to the same extent they could prior. And because they reduce their sales and marketing, their growth starts to slow. Their growth starts to decelerate. And what happens when a company's growth starts to decelerate? Well, the stock price goes down. What happens when the stock price goes down? The falling stock price makes it so that the other way that they can raise capital becomes much more expensive. So what was a virtuous cycle of cheap debt funding growth and that growth inflating the stock price now transfers into a vicious cycle. The debt becomes expensive. They can't fund sales and marketing teams to the extent they could. The growth starts to decelerate. The decelerating growth causes a sell-off in the stock, and the lower stock price makes dilution way more expensive for the company. This vicious cycle are what many companies are starting to enter into. And the market, of course, has been anticipating this dynamic change in the economy and the macro environment. You can look at ARK Invest as a quintessential example of this. The huge majority of holdings in ARK Invest are companies that are not very free cash flow generative. They're not very profitable, and they're mostly reliant on the debt markets and the equity markets, which means that they take on a lot of debt to fund growth, or they issue a lot of shares and do a lot of dilution to fund growth. So these are the type of companies that have benefited heavily from a low interest rate environment. Well, as it's become more clear that we're moving out of a low interest rate environment into a high interest rate environment, the market's starting to price this in. ARK Invest is down 50% over the trailing year, and it seems like there's no end in sight. So the question is, if interest rates continue to go up, what will continue to happen with these companies? Well, let's take a look at one example and see. We can look at the example of Teladoc, which is currently ARK's second largest holding. First of all, this is the example of a company that has benefited far more in a specific macro environment of having a pandemic. And that in and of itself is something to pay attention to. How will this company look completely outside of a pandemic? 
well, people will probably be less inclined to do telemedicine than they would during a lockdown period. But outside of that, they also benefited from the specific macro environment of low interest rates. This is something that this company heavily benefited from, and you can see it in the financials. Look at the way this company funds their growth. They fund their growth through issuing higher and higher amounts of debt. Back in 2017, they had $42 million in debt. It went to $201 million, so they took out a lot of debt. Then in 2018, they took out a couple hundred million dollars more in debt to 402 million. Then in 2020, they probably did acquisitions or bought more growth and they funded that with more debt, taking out another $500 million of debt, raising their total debt to 948 million. And then they funded even more growth with more debt, having above a billion dollars in debt. And now they're starting to repay back a little bit of their debt. They're over $1.2 billion in debt currently. Their cash position has grown, but not at the same rate of their debt. They have $900 million of cash, which means that they have a net debt of above $300 million. Now, on top of just taking out debt, they've raised cash through other means as well. Look at their shares outstanding. This company has been diluting shareholders for the past five years. Since 2017, they went from 54 million shares outstanding to 160 million shares outstanding. So through their acquisitions and their purchases of growth, they have diluted shareholders about six times over. That is a tremendous amount of dilution. So this is a company that overall, in order to fund their growth, they look to the debt markets and they look to the equity markets. Now compare and contrast that against their operating expenses and in specific, their sales and advertising and marketing. This is the part of their business that funds the growth. You can see that it was growing before the pandemic and then they've ramped up their sales and marketing like crazy. They've over doubled it. Last quarter, their total budget for sales and advertising was $172 million. So another way of putting this is in the past three months, Teladoc has spent more on sales and marketing alone than their entire free cash flow for the year of 2021. For the entire year of 2021, they spent $667 million on sales and advertising and marketing. That doesn't include research and development, general and administrative costs, legal and regulatory, acquisition and integration, so on and so forth. That's a lot of other expenses not included here, but this is the really important part because this is what is funding their growth. And they're spending in one year over four times as much on sales and advertising than they generate in free cash flow. Well, this creates a problem for Teladoc. They're not that free cash flow generative. Their sales and marketing budget is way above what they generate in cash flow. And so they're starting to actually have to pull back their sales and marketing budget. You can see it going down over the past five quarters. Their sales and marketing budget is, of course, responsible for their growth. Without a sales and marketing team, they're not going to grow quite as fast. And so as they pull back on that spending, you can see that their growth is starting to decelerate. And you also have the compounded issue of us moving out of the macro environment of lockdowns, further compounding the issue of the slowing growth. And as the growth starts to decelerate, investors start to sell. When investors sell, of course, the stock price goes down. It's down 62% over the past trailing year. But this also creates a fundamental problem for Teladoc. As the stock price drops, whenever they issue new shares and raise capital that way, it becomes far more expensive. They're not selling shares at those higher prices. They're selling them at less than half of what they were before. So every share they sell is twice as expensive as it was a year ago. Now maybe Teladoc can pull through these issues and have positive shareholder returns. But in my opinion, if interest rates continue to go up, the growth will continue to struggle, the cost of capital will continue to rise, and they'll have to rely on becoming a profitable company 
posting higher and higher free cash flows. For companies in this situation, I think that's very difficult. So it makes perfect sense to me that Kathy Wood, having a lot of these type of companies in her portfolio, is adamant that we're headed into a deflationary environment, not inflation. She continues to believe that we are headed into deflation. And that makes sense because if we continue to head into a more inflationary environment, that means that interest rates go up and her companies get further and further into that vicious cycle. If inflation does go down and interest rates don't have to go up that far, then maybe this virtuous cycle will carry on. But for Kathy Wood, this is critical. Her companies are reliant on a specific macro environment. And outside of that macro environment, they are not going to perform well. If we enter into a high interest rate environment over the next three years, I think it's very difficult to argue that these type of companies will do well. So here's my thoughts on the subject and what I'm doing. Instead of focusing on buying companies that do well during times of low inflation or low interest rates, or companies that do well during times of high inflation or high interest rates, I'm buying companies that will do just fine during either. These are companies that are not reliant on a specific macro environment. Two examples of new buys in my portfolio are Starbucks and Domino's. Let's go ahead and look at both of these companies and what distinguishes them from other companies like Teladoc. The first thing is with a company like Starbucks, unlike a company like Teladoc, they're not spending five times their free cash flow on sales and marketing. In fact, Starbucks spends almost nothing on sales and marketing. It's barely a line item. They generated $4.52 billion in free cash flow last year. And if we move that to a quarterly basis, it's actually increasing over time. Last quarter, they generated $1.45 billion. This is more than enough to pay for all the sales and marketing, all the OPEX, all the general administrative costs. They're not funding their growth through debt. In fact, if we look at their balance sheet right now, Starbucks currently has $13.5 billion in debt and they have $4.06 billion in cash. So they do have excess debt, but is this debt being used to fund their growth? The debt's being opportunistically used to buy their own stock. This is something just to boost shareholder returns. They've used their debt over the years to purchase more and more stock taking out cheap debt at a 4% interest rate and buying a company that gives 15% returns. That's a pretty good deal for shareholders. So Starbucks hasn't been reliant on their debt. They've just used it as a temporary tool, taking advantage opportunistically of low interest rate environment. But going forward, this company does not need debt to fund its business model, does not need debt to fund its growth. They can open up all the new stores they want. They can hire as many employees as they want. They can raise wages and they can do all of that with their free cash flow. That is a company that is not reliant on a specific macro environment. The other food joint that I bought is Domino's Pizza. This is another one that I put $20,000 into and I'm buying another $400 of it with my Vici dividends. So this is gonna be an even bigger holding. Domino's is a growth company. It's a dividend growth company that although it was a beneficiary of the pandemic, it had a slight boost during it. It certainly wasn't something that was a massive anomaly for the company. Overall, this company has been growing consistently inside or outside of a pandemic. So it's not a company that's reliant on a specific macro environment. And even though this company has a lot of debt on the balance sheet, they carry $5.1 billion of debt, much like Starbucks, they have used this debt opportunistically, not as a necessity for growth. They've taken this debt and they've used it to buy shares by their own company stock. So in 2017, they had 42 million shares. In 2020, they have 36 million. They're buying huge chunks of their company every year funded by debt. And you might think that that's irresponsible, 
but not really. Consider the fact that they could buy the debt for about a 4% interest rate and buy the stock that is appreciated at above 15%. So when they're doing this transaction, they're making investors very wealthy in the process. They're giving them an excess return of over 10%. So this has worked out very well for shareholders and it hasn't put the company in a bad situation. In fact, if we look at the free cash flow of this company, and you do a simple comparison of their debt growth, the free cash flow growth, Domino's is still in a very strong position. They can use their growing free cash flow to pay down their debt anytime they need. So this is a company that has a lot of options right now. So I think this is what's important to realize here. Domino's and Starbucks may be good companies and they're good brands and I can go in depth into the companies. But if we back up just a little bit further, the big picture here is that both of these companies can do well during any type of environment. They can do well during high inflation and low inflation, high interest rates and low interest rates. They're not dependent on one specific macro environment to perform well. And those are the type of companies that are strong companies that I want in my portfolio. So I'm building a strong portfolio of, I think, very strong companies that will do well during most environments. Now, having said that, I want to address one last thing, and that is some criticism of me buying into these companies and then them soon after dropping into the red. Starbucks is down a couple thousand dollars after the announcement that they're suspending their share buyback program. So I don't normally do this, but let me go ahead and address this criticism. I can use Costco as an example. Here is the buy order for my first buy into Costco back in December 19th of 2017. The price of the company back then was $189.39, $189 for a single share. Here's Costco's stock chart since then. Right after I bought that share in Costco, the stock price dumped 9%. Just a month after I bought the company, I was down 10% immediately in the red. But I knew it was a good company. I didn't really care that it traded down in the immediate term, so I held on to it. And the price recovered over the course of the next few months. Then it started to trend up a little bit, but that wasn't the only time that Costco stock has gone down since me holding the company. Towards the end of 2018, the stock went down 20%. That was a pretty significant drop, giving up most of the gains of the previous six months. Again, this is something that you might look at and you might think you make the wrong decision, but I again knew this was a solid company that I wanted to hold for the long term. So I continued to hold it. The company went up in price another 23%, and along the way, it's had many drops. It dropped 12%, it recovered a bit, and then it continued to drop another 11%. And this is considered a low volatility stock. Costco also went through a time period, just the beginning of this year, where it was down 18%. So almost again, another 20% decline. But if you held on to it, the stock continued to move forward because it is a high quality company. And just in the past month or so, the company was down another 15%. So overall, in the past three and a half years of me holding this stock, it has dropped like six times over 5% and multiple times over 15%. And in none of those cases did I get worried and sell the stock. Because overall, I look at the future and I think this company will continue to perform well. My initial buy of the company, again, was 189 and the stock currently trades at 602 That's over a 3x return from my first buys, not counting special dividends or their quarterly dividends. And that 3x return is why M1 Finance calculates an internal rate of return of 322%. So my point is, when you look at companies like Starbucks and Domino's that are long-term secular compounders with a long runway of growth, to say that it was a ter- terrible buy because it went down a little bit right after you bought it, I think is the wrong attitude to have. And if that's the attitude you have when investing, you're going to have a very difficult time. I plan on holding these companies for a very long time unless the fundamentals of the company change. And in my opinion, 
the fundamentals of both of these companies has not changed or deteriorated enough for me to sell my positions. So as of right now, I'm going to continue to hold. And I very much expect both of these companies, like Costco, to be market-beating positions over the next three to five years. So that's my advice for now. Avoid weak companies. Avoid companies that are reliant on specific macro events. Invest in quality, dollar cost average in, and have some patience. If you're investing into a new company and it goes into the red, remember why you invested in it in the first place. That's my thoughts for now. I hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you in the next one.